0: Week's show. First off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners. And if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. I've got Professor Stephen Meliou. Uh, Stephen is a professor in sports psychology and the Associate Dean for Research for the Cardiff School of Sport at Cardiff Met University, formerly known as UWC. Furthermore, to that, He's also editor of the Journal of Applied Sport Psychology and the co-founder and network editor of World Rugby Sports Science. Uh, thanks again, Stephen, for coming on.
1: No problem, James. It's uh, it's nice to see you again. It's been a couple of years, isn't it? Yeah, a couple. Of... Yeah, I think. Uh, how long has it been? Like, seven or eight years since. Uh...
0: Not yet. Uh, no, yeah. Next, next next summer it would be.
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, I remember as a as a young undergraduate getting involved in all the uh, lab labs and the practical activities. So it's uh, how time flies.
0: Yeah, it's re- it's really gone by. So obviously, for I I've got the pre- privilege of working with you all those years ago. Uh, could you tell the listeners and obviously the viewers on YouTube a little bit more about yourself and how you got into originally s- sports science and then more later? Like- more on to specifically sports psychology.
1: Okay. Um, well, born and bred in uh, in Wales uh, from the west, west Wales in Swansea, and unlike any uh, young Welsh Welsh uh, child growing up, you wanted to represent your country at sport. Um, my my sport was rugby. Very lucky at uh, As I started to grow, I grew grew quite quickly, and I was an early mature. So, I, rugby was kind of my sport, I was quite tall. So, I ended up playing uh, a little bit of rugby and. Uh, because I was quite tall and large for my for my age, as it were, sort of 12, 13, 14, I got I got picked for some representative teams and then got a lot of coaching input. And sort of 17, 18 was in the Welsh got a kind of junior junior rugby squad for a while. Um, and pursued pursued that for a couple of years. and wanted to go to university to study sports science to kind of like most athletes do. You want to learn more about your performance and how you train to make yourself a better athlete. Um, so I ended up in Loughborough University for a couple of years, um, and that was where my kind of interest in kind of sports science really got fired, and particularly sports psychology. Um, and as my rugby career failed to materialise, as it were, and like so many people who work in sport, if you can't uh, if you can't be the best at sport, you want to work in, with people and uh, and help them be the best, if you like, as well um so i i kind of stayed on did a masters that turned into a phd in, in sports psychology and stress in sport and i like the idea of, of being an academic um you could train as a applied sports psychologist work with athletes if you like do the research with the athletes and then and then teach that knowledge that you've learned back to the students and, and the new sports psychologists and sports scientists generations as they came through um so i'm very much a, an academic that uh, works within the real world, collects ideas and data and research from the real world athletes and then puts that back into the training and education of that. Um, uh, I did my PhD in Gloucestershire Uni. Um, I ended up going back to Swansea University for a good 12 or 13 years, um, combined that with some applied work with, within rugby and, and other professional sports. Um, and then kind of moved to Cardiff for uh, kind of a, a career progression as well. So it's been, uh, been very exciting within that. And kind of my research interest is still within stress and, stress and sport and probably around um, athlete and player welfare. So understanding the psychological challenges and demands that athletes have and how we can support them on and off the field, really, um, get them to be better people and better athletes all around. Okay. So that's uh, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> That's quite interesting.
0: Obviously, when you say player welfare, obviously the big one at the moment was in relation to rugby is obviously concussion. Hmm. So when you when you say welfare, is it more a broader term than just obviously injury?
1: Yeah, I mean, welfare covers a lot of different areas. You know, welfare, particularly at different stages of an athlete's career um, and there's different levels as well. You know, welfare a lot of my work is around working with academy athletes who are experiencing the transition from maybe junior to senior level sport or from semi-professional to professional level so welfare around that is you know helping them balance if they're under 18 helping them balance the demands of study uh, the growing demands of, of expectations to be a professional and and keep a balance in their life with the off-field stuff as well so you know, and some athletes who may be working at the other end of the scale, who are coming to terms with retiring from sport and how we manage and help support them into a, a new life and a new identity. Um, welfare can also just be around, you know, day to day around the players uh, and making sure that they're getting treated and supported accordingly. Um, concussion is a massive thing in rugby at the moment, and I think it's a massive thing in a lot of team sports and contact sports, um, and it's it's an area almost where um, the industry is ahead of the science if you like so you probably see lots of adverts for concussion tests and concussion guidelines and and the science really isn't there yet to, to precisely define what concussion is, how we measure it and more importantly how we treat it as well so it's about raising awareness when it comes to that um, and obviously as you mentioned injury, every athlete uh, or whatever level they're competing at will get injured at some point uh, and how we support athletes and Managing that injury is is kind of one of my interesting areas as well.
0: Okay, that's what's quite quite interesting. Obviously, you say obviously covers obviously I did I didn't think of obviously uh, the junior aspect of the rugby. Obviously, them coming through. Mm. Obviously, I've been fortunate as an athlete myself. I probably had it to some degree, but then obviously I was going from. School into further education, and that transition obviously. What I could think of was probably obviously, for, uh, for like that close network you have, like friends, family, obviously coaches, as that network to kind of get that smooth transition. Yeah, it's probably probably helped that my training base, obviously, when I was down in in Swansea, was virtually opposite the university, so yeah, it kind yeah. of. There was like little links anyway between the department and performance sport, anyway. So,
1: yeah, I think you find that, um, you know, current thinking around transitions is there a process? It's not just you turn up at uni or you turn up for first team senior training or you turn up in the senior squad uh, for training in athletics, having been in the end of 23s. It's not a discrete event, it's kind of a process, really. Um, and the people that cope more effectively with the transition in and out of sport or through sport are the ones that have got better coping resources uh, and better support networks as well. So you mentioned there, you know, the physical environment being being helpful to you in that respect and probably a good family network as well. Um, and I think in some sports, it's people stay within the area, they train within the area. But in other sports, maybe like professional football, soccer, people have to move away from home into academies. Maybe often abroad nowadays, um, and that can be quite a challenge as well in itself. Um, so it's about providing helping athletes be aware of the networks that are around them and and offering support, but helping them develop the coping resources as well um, to manage those transitions. And that doesn't that helps them transition to the senior sport, but then also through the various aspects of their sporting career. Um, and as you say, going from uni to full time. Athlete as well can be a can be a challenge in itself.
0: Well, when you say, when you say that, obviously, I had wow. Well, the you could say was take it both ways. Either the luxury or misfortune to, <laughs> to combine uh, trying to be an elite athlete and then probably <laughs> it was probably easier. Obviously, the first obviously my first Paralympics tied in with my first year at uni, so that probably worked out quite nicely. Because yeah. obviously. There's, not as important as it three years yeah. so I di- I still did fairly well wanted to hit the ground running and obviously it was probably maybe a little bit more difficult the second and third year but obviously yeah. without well I probably spent because I obviously had the opportunity of working with you for two, 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 two out of the three years anyway yeah because obviously you try, as you progress through sports science, so you've got to Decide what route you 're going to take, obviously be it uh physiology biomechanics or psychology psychology yeah for me personally obviously physiology just got to too too even even though it kind of weird I even though I did a physiology dissertation, it was still for me it was just too difficult to comprehend i just couldn't take in on the information uh biomechanics was obviously I've probably put off because obviously with all the math you have to do early yeah. doors yeah. just in case it may go wrong with a computer thinking well in this day and age they shouldn't it shouldn't go wrong and obviously <laughs> psychology was more I found more useful and obviously there was a better tie-in within I could take it it was a lot easier to take from what I'd learned on the degree into my sport and vice versa. Whereas all the other ones, you'd have to read a lot more to be able to bring it across. And obviously, there's not that that trans, um, correl- Well, to me, there's not that, that direct correlation as sure. there was with sports psychology.
1: Yeah, and I think as well, um, you know, you it, as an athlete, you get strength and addition support you get technical analysis provided by you by the coaches and there is there is psychological support available as well but the you know in terms of the priorities for funding s and c coaches seen as fundamental for most of the sports and and then you, and then having a, a skills or a technical coaches is, is there as well and sometimes psychologists rightly or wrongly uh are down the pecking order in terms of a, a resource that's a luxury sometimes so in, in a degree level yeah psychology i think is quite appealing to people particularly some of the modules if they're what we call professional practice ones i think that's something that i focused on when i taught was teaching what i consulted and, and reflecting my experiences around that so i know we did a lot around career transitions injuries and coach-athlete relationships and, and, and all of that and i think that's important that uh Sometimes not everyone's going to be a sports psychologist or a physiologist when they've done their sports science degree, but they're going to go out and work in sport or be an athlete. And so giving them an understanding of the challenges and demands of of athletes uh, across the different areas, I think is important. So I've always tried to do that when my teaching is make it relevant and interesting and then the students tend to listen more which <laughs> which is, which is uh, and if they listen more they're interested if they're interested they tend to do be better with the assignments because they work harder so it all uh, it all adds up in the end um but yeah it comes back to your point about studying and, and training uh, this notion of being a dual uh, like what we call a dual athlete or dual career athlete student um, can be nice in some respects because it gives you time away from your training it gives you something else to focus on on your down days um, and it helps you keep a balance and keep your training and your sport in perspective but also there can be times i imagine when there's clashes crashes and you've got exams and training camps and exams and major competitions or assessment students so that um that can be a real challenge for an athlete but athletes are probably the most focused and organized and committed individuals and and so they, they can balance a lot of different, uh, a lot of different or keep a lot of balls in the air, if you like, mm-hmm. and, I, and I guess you probably found that as well it was It was being about being very organized and, and, and those kind of transferable skills from sport to to study as well and to business where you are now I guess
0: um, well, well in terms of me personally i can 't think of many clashes, maybe maybe with assignments, but then obviously. Yeah. I've got a schedule set out before the season starts with, with sport. Obviously, I know when I'm going to be away. Yeah. So I've kind of got no excuse, obviously, in terms of the, assi- the assignment due date to get it done. So obviously, it would depend on where we were. Um, obviously, when I found out when the the, the, the s- submission date was for that piece of work, and obviously... Um, Schedule that accordingly to what I need to do. Be, be it uh, either getting dispensation, obviously, because I'm away to get it to be, so I can. I'm able to submit it in later, or on most occasions, I I just got it done earlier and it's out the way. I can yeah yeah focus solely on training, and not having to write a paper on the the times <laughs> that I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm supposed to be relaxing and having downtime.
1: Yeah. Um, you do. I mean, I think it varies from sport to sport. In some sports, um, people are encouraged to study. You know, they're 18, 19, they're on a semi professional or development contract or potential contract, and uh, they're encouraged to study as well. And sometimes that can be, uh, if it's not prioritised, there's lots of clashes with training schedules, then the study can suffer. So, you know, study isn't it for everyone, uh, you know, and sometimes there's a short window in some sports for for kind of academy development and pathways. So, you know, it's best sometimes for them to come back to that uh, at a later date. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's a primary around athlete welfare in 18 year olds, particularly in sports like rugby, where they can break their leg or snap their ligaments tomorrow at 18 and, and, and not be able to play sport again. They do need to think about having alternatives you know not necessarily university education but you know kind of vocational and um, training or experience as well as is, is always useful but we find there's a lot of 18 year olds just want to play sport quite naturally and just see a career in their sport and nothing else um, so it takes a while and takes maybe a couple of years for them to, to uh, put a work with them to see uh, to see the benefits of, of doing stuff away from their sport.
0: Also the that one you touch upon obviously in my sporting career, we were taught when well it's going back a few years now in swimming obviously it's like a like this triangle, obviously to cut it a little bit short um, obviously we're told obviously you 've got your sport, your education, and your social life well one's got to give because obviously you can't balance all three yeah. so, f- f- so obviously if you want to progress in sport, obviously sport is going to be num- is going to be one, and depending on where you are. In life, obviously, say teenager. Obviously, education is a big is a big part. Obviously, in the UK, obviously it's mandatory up until sixteen. Whereas, rest of the world is obviously eighteen. So it's going to be that that longer stretch. And then obviously, if somebody decides to go on to further education, obviously that will be that brings another total. I mentioned, obviously, that triangle, obviously. Obviously, with uh, going out, obviously, it plays a big, massive part in university life, obviously. With a student, they've got to kind of find that little balance again, obviously, okay. I want to get the university experience. However, the, be it for the higher ones in the sports, say, football, rugby, and the ones who've got into university And at elite level, obviously, yeah, they want to sample it a little bit, but the priority, obviously, is number one, is obviously to finish that degree. Obviously, whatever you've chosen to do is to study, and also your sport.
1: Hmm. Yeah, um, and and what you find particularly is, um, you know, psychologically... um, at eight, 17, 18, 19, 20, people are developing their identities. So they're exploring who they are and discovering who they are and sometimes uh, sampling different things. And, you know, uh, you see a lot of risky type behaviours between the ages of 18 to 24 because people are, are, are finding out who they are and what, what they're about and what they are and, and not. And what you tend to find with athletes who've come through from, from an early age, they've got a strong identity that they're an athlete and they're a sports person and that's what they're about. Um and it is important that as they go through those late teenage years, early adulthood, they, do, they are exposed to other things and they do get a broader sense of who they are, not just as an athlete. Um, because when their career finishes later on down the line, they may struggle with the fact that they can no longer be an athlete anymore and reinforce their confidence and identity by doing sport or competing in sport. Um, and that's pro- where problems can happen when people retire in certain sports, if, if sport is all they've known and that defines who they are, if you can't train every week or play or compete uh, you you lose your sense of worth to a certain extent so as you say, that triangle and keeping that balance to a certain extent or having a social life, you know not the typical student social life but having a network of friends away from the sport and having, developing a, another career in edu- you know through your education or that helps to develop multiple identities and, and it helps to, to keep your balance, if you like. Um, and when you get injured and when you have threats of retirement or whether you're going to make the games, all these things, if you've got just an athlete identity and nothing else, they can, they can be major challenges and threats that uh, you need to negotiate. Yeah,
0: that's definitely a good point. It's probably something I didn't touch upon, obviously. Um oh, lost the train of thought. Um, obviously... With to come back to that, I have to come back to that. I think
1: I I was going to say. I I mean, you you probably got. I think your your background, uh, as uh, probably you had an identity. You saw yourself as an athlete, but you probably saw yourself as a as a student as well. But then, and your background from where you were brought up in your study, and kind of uh, the disability to a certain extent, you view yourself probably as a as a Paralympic athlete in that sense as well, rather than just an athlete. So I think you probably cope well with the transitions that, that you were placed in or went through because of your broad sense of worth and your multiple kind of identities to a certain extent that would have, would have helped that definitely, I think. Is that, would you say that's a fair point?
0: Um, a little bit, obviously. With, I, had, I had, well, two, two... Well, I competed in three sports in the end, so obviously... I had more transition than most, <laughs> most athletes yeah. would like. Yeah. Uh, the first one, I'll obviously, from swimming to rowing was probably quite a hectic one and quite difficult one challenge to make the transition because, obviously, originally I'd gone to Swansea as a swimmer. Yeah. And within... Oof, it about three months of being down there. Obviously, I'd been dropped from the national programme. So it was kind of getting my head round it. And obviously, coming up to the Christmas period and breaking up from university, well, I thought, oh, well, that my athlete career is finished now. I'll be coming back as a student <laughs> in the new, new year. But obviously, with the programme we've got up set up in uh, Wales for disability sport, uh, they try not to lose their athletes, so yeah, they try and yeah. find something or other, a, a way of keeping you within that sporting environment. So in my case, it was moving, moving over to rowing, and then kind of it, my career kind of yeah. jump started again, and it obviously took off.
1: Yeah. Well, look. I think uh, you mentioned Sport Wales then, and, and and disability sport. They're very good at what they call talent recycling, um, and that's and that's a, and that's a, it's a kind of a new, it's been a new word over the last five or ten years, particularly in UK sport, is how you recycle athletes and maybe don't aren't quite at that point in time good enough for a, one particular sport and the skill set they can use elsewhere, and how you fast track them in as well. So. How how were you, you fast tracked into rowing? How how did you cope with that transition of different sport, different training demands? Was it quite an easy one? Um,
0: from the well, it was obviously the 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 coping one was obviously going from development to performance. Yeah, um, that was probably a massive learning curve. I will look back on it because uh, obviously the demands of that. Obviously, you haven't got time to develop. You need to. To a certain extent, obviously deliver every single. Well, with the case of rowing, obviously they have a World Championships every year. Yeah. The, you get selected. You are expected to perform every single year, and with the emphasis at the end of the four-year cycles, obviously the big one is competing in the obviously the Olympics or the Paralympics. So obviously with rowing, they're probably okay. The World Championships are important, but they're kind of stepping stones. It's obviously that end goal of the Olympic Olympic cycle, so obviously the the World Championships plays play less have a kind of a less of importance because obviously they come around every year. So whereas other sports, it'll be for I think athletics, for example, is I think every four years. So theirs is a bigger importance because obviously there's more chance of you probably missing that one with it coming around every four years whereas every year be it barring injury or not being selected you go to a world championship so obviously that's probably that's how Britain sees it obviously there's more and it's the same with cycling obviously they generally peak for the, the Olympics and obviously or oh, it was something in the press. Uh, probably when the Olympics finish, obviously I think it was the Australians saying, "Well, why is Britain dominating?" Well, obviously from yeah. the outside, I know straight away <laughs> that's what they're, they're 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 peaking for. Yeah, and they peak for every single time. Well, that's, at the end of the day, that's what funding based upon in this country. Is based yeah. on the Olympics. So obviously, they're going to do everything in their power. Yeah. Be it psychology physiology uh, performance with the bikes to get yeah. whatever i'll well, say that small one percentage extra that the comp- the other comp- countries don 't have
1: yeah and I think that's that 's the ultimate in terms of focus is is focusing on that four the year that those Olympic Games and everything else is just preparation, every race of really competition is just building towards that. And, you know, good coaches, good, good high-performance teams, you know, they'll experiment in some of the championships a year out. They'll, they'll, they'll trial different techniques or methods or, you know, bikes or equipment to, get, to, to test everything out so that when they go into that final event, there's, you know, the big, the big event, the Olympics, nothing's left to, 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 to chance. Everything's tried and tested and they know where they need to be. It is easy to get distracted by other championships or games or events, isn't it? And and some people get can be disappointed then if they haven't won a championship or done well at a championship on the way to that event. But as you say, ultimately, it's a, it's a, we're accountable through funding. If, and if the sports don't achieve, they don't get the money. And it is ultimately based on winning medals. Um, and that's been a it's been a very harsh regime they've introduced you know over the last you know, ten or fifteen years through funding. But it's been very effective. And it focuses coaches, it focuses support staff and it focuses the athletes. So it can be brutal, but it's, you know, a sport is ha- tough, sport is harsh, you know. And um, I think the Australians are quite uh, envious of our regime and our system we have, definitely.
0: Well, speaking of the strength and conditioning coaches, obviously my, one of my, it was one of my former ones, obviously he's now working <laughs> within the Australian uh, network of inter- uh, Institutes of Sports, obviously, and obviously, they were of sports science. They're probably the leading nation, obviously, yeah. in early days. And I, it, we kind of touched upon. Obviously, they, their, their games that they actually did very, very well was obviously their home games, and they've kind of plateaued off. What, which has been the case with any host nation that's, yeah, hosted, whereas. You look at the Great Britain, obviously we kind of bucked that trend a little bit with obviously surpassing the medal tally from london in in Rio and both the Par- Olympics and Paralympics yeah. i don't I don't know if that's you could correlate between the two obviously in the past people have done as well
1: yeah i think I think you know there's a big commitment of funds. So there was a big thing that there wouldn't be a drop-off after 2012, you know, the, 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 the British government and, and UK Sport are very keen to so say, we're not going to drop off, we'll, we'll sustain the level of investment. Um, and UK Sport are very innovative, you know, as a, as a coach, as an athlete, you have to, have to understand what's contemporary, what's current, and try and stay one step ahead of the opposition, you know. And so behind the scenes in UK Sport, how they've kept us ahead of the, the game across the different sports has been tremendous. You know, you've got teams behind the teams who are on talent development, innovation, innovative thinking, whether that's technology or, or the way you manage teams or you develop coaches. it's It's real cutting-edge stuff. And, you know, you talk about British science and industry and engineering... Being the forefront we've got some of the best engineers and scientists in the world And I think uk sport have been over the last 10 years tapping into that expertise and taking a similar approach so um you know we may not be a big nation but we, we punch above our weight and we, we we're smart with how we uh, with how we box if you like as well and that's uh, it's good it's very proud to be part of that process you know it's, it's good to see um, and if we're, if we're getting lots of other nations complaining about us that means we're doing something right I think <laughs> Uh, if the Australians are complaining, then, uh, then we must be doing something right.
0: Oh, it's probably one of those things, a little bit. Well, especially when it's towards the end of a competition or at the end, it's a little bit, you could kind of take heart to it. It's a little bit of sour grapes. It's like, well, maybe you're obviously focusing on trying to peek at multiple things. Is probably not the way of going about it because I think it was obviously the comment was obviously to do with I think they have a World Championships that year as well, which I mm-hmm. think is probably w- why maybe the countries don't do as well because obviously they've peaked for that and it's very very difficult, um, obviously with cycling to be able to peak twice in a year and obviously. Britain's probably gone away well obviously that's the you know ahead of time obviously with scheduling well that's going to be it obviously I don't know if they sent a weaker team or something like that
1: well I think I think it's you know um, it's it's almost like a training game type thing isn't it I mean there's lots of factors there it's not a as you say it's not just as simple as we haven't peaked and and the other one have have peaked for it but you know that's part of the process is that focus just on the on the Olympics isn't it you know the Australians will have been focused on the Olympics, I'm sure. Um, but we, you know, the, what we do behind the scenes, I think, is uh, that's where the edges, is, isn't it? Um, we've got we've got good raw materials, good athletes, and it's how we support them, develop them, and give them the best environment to thrive in. Uh, and competition is one thing as well. So that's um, it's, it's good to see. It's good to see.
0: And obviously you say the team buying the team, is something we've probably alluded to a little bit while we've been chatting is obviously yeah. um uh, obviously psych, sports psychology is becoming more to the fore yeah. in terms of obviously it's publicity is getting obviously with to do uh obviously it was a big one with cycling, obviously. Um Obviously, with that, obviously, you, 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 your, your, your study of expertise is obviously to do with coping strategies and stress management and things like that.
1: Mm.
0: Obviously, that's, a, especially at the elite level, that's a very big, big one. Can you explain to people, obviously, what's the broader sense of what that would cover as in
1: stress and coping strategies? Sure. I think, um, you know, I think the notion of stress to one person is very different to what it is to the next as well. So stress, when people say, I'm, un- I'm under stress, that stress is actually a process, if you like, of your the daily challenges you face and daily demands that are placed upon you from um, having to get up early to go and train, having to endure a long train session, having to travel back and your bus breaking down or the train being delayed. All the things in life that place a demand or tax us mentally and physically um, we, have, we have various views of that we have various ways of coping with that and so one individual may feel challenged by the fact their bus has broken down or their train is delayed uh, and may feel it's going to threaten how their day is going to go or, or cause a threat to them and, and they may worry about that and they, and they may become anxious and fret whereas another person may see a delayed train as, as, as normal, that, that happens and they may see it as an opportunity for them to do some more work on the train for example um and so how people view all these different challenges demands that were placed upon day to day how people view that has a massive effect on how they then go and cope and deal with those things um and sport is no different so you know there are challenges around competing you know the opposition the, the, the track the venue the referees the officials the whatever um there are Challenges around the organisation of the sport, so the transport to the venue uh, itself, your seating, your draw in a competition, Um, and then there are challenges away from sport. You know, your personal challenges that may be relationship issues, life issues, all those sorts of things. And so, you know, athletes have challenges like everyone else uh, does in life, and how we view those challenges or demands and uh, influences how we how we feel, and then how we actually cope with them. Um, so kind of the role of a sports psych is to help athletes acknowledge what those challenges or demands are that they have faced weekly, daily, hourly, and, and teach them to help view them in a more positive light and, and use strategies to help them kind of cope with them more effectively. Um, you know, basic coping strategies, one may be to deal, to deal with the emotions you're feeling, to, to try and relax yourself or calm, deal with the emotions. Uh, another one may be to actually deal with the source of the emotions, the source of the problem that's causing the anxiety or the worry. Um, so people can focus on dealing, dealing with the response to the the, stre- the challenges, if you like, or actually trying to remove the thing that's causing the challenge in the, in the first place. So we call that one problem-focused coping, deal with the problem, and the other one we call emotion-focused coping. You can't actually remove the problem, maybe, which is the competition, the race, the tough opponent, but you can deal with your emotions and you can focus on coping with how you're feeling about that. And managing those emotions as well so that's that's kind of stress and coping if you like very hopefully very simply put lots of things going out there that ch- challenge or tax us how we view them and how we then uh feel about them and, and the strategies we use help us to cope successfully or, or less successfully if you like
0: okay that's quite, that's quite an interesting point obviously like you say it's it's coping with these things you, you've got Control of obviously it's the c- controllables and uncontrollables You've yeah. got no control, obviously, what your competition is going to do. Uh, problems with transport, things like that. Obviously, obviously at the elite level, you've got team management to sort all that thing. That obviously you're there just to compete. So if you just focus on being the best that you can be, that's the only thing you've got control of of, of, uh, yeah. of getting the best out yourself.
1: Yeah, and a lot of younger athletes will worry about the opposition and worry about a lot of these uncontrollable factors, if you like, um, and how you, um, and how you, and helping them to understand that all you can control is your processes, how hard you work, how well you stick to your strategy, your race strategy, how hard you train every day, and how hard, how well you recover and look after yourself, and all of these things. If you put that right. And then you've got the best chance of performing well, you know, how how well you prepare your tactics and strategies and all those kind of things. And, and often when there are a lot of demands placed on us, we, we tend to get distracted and we tend to focus on things we can't control, uh, which causes further anxiety and worry, if you like. So it is about learning to focus on the right things. And we can be proactive so we can plan for, uh, having a, a you know a poorer venue to train at, we can plan for having a longer bus trip and, and you know having an overnight stay. We can we can be proactive within that, and that's obviously the best coping strategies are the ones that are you, you're forewarned and you prepare for those and you try and manage those as best you can. And as you say, the management, the coaches, the support staff, the team managers, they can create an environment where they minimise the effect of these kind of demands from the organisation, these unplanned things, they minimise the effects of those on their athletes and their teams. But a lot of the time you've got to learn to to react and cope with the the things that change in the environment and, you know, within the sport as well. Um, Some sports, you know, you've, you've got to just focus on getting up and down that pool as quickly as possible and making sure your turns are as good and your technique is as good as possible. In other sports, in team sports, in balls, invasion sports, you've got to prepare to react to all of these different things that are going on. Um, so it's really interesting as a psych working in different sports, um, preparing for the, for the competition, there's probably similar strategies, but then once you get into that competition, um, very different kind of techniques and it's very bespoke to that individual athlete. Um, I'm sure you probably have different ways of coping, um, in the lead up to a race or a big competition, um, you know uh, uh, as well as then actually when you went into that race and that competition um, and in between heats or in between trials and all those sorts of things so it, it's fascinating some people learn some people learn just through experience and they reflect they're, they're self aware and, and they work out how to cope and they, it works for them others don't and are less self aware and it's a process of making them aware of how they can cope better and giving them strategies or techniques to, uh, to help them cope more effectively
0: a quite interesting point you bring up obviously with the two di- the differences between obviously the ones that find coping strategies that work for them and obviously ones that have to be taught how to do it
1: yeah i think um look it, you'll you'll see in the press a lot of people athletes who are very successful say i never needed a sports psychologist you know i didn't need anyone to tell me you know i've and that's well. That's great. Through life and through the way you've been socialised and coached or educated or the advice you've been given from a senior athlete, you've learned to cope and be successful. Um, but other athletes do need that support, and sometimes it's not a sports psych. Sometimes it's an older, a, a older professional athlete that gives them some advice around how they cope pre-competition, or other times it's a, it's a coach that has a very good awareness of psychological skills and training and is able to sort of give some broader advice within that or refer an athlete onto a sports site to, to help with that as well. You know, not everyone is is naturally the strongest athlete in the world. They have to work on their strength. You know, some some, some people are lucky to have high levels of strength, or high levels of endurance physiologically, and they don't have to work at it as much. Um, it's the same with psychology and psych skills. Some people, through their experiences... Earlier on in life and their development, have got good coping skills and can transfer it across situations. Others need more support and need more work with that as well. So, um, yeah, it is. It is an interesting thing. The challenge, obviously, is is how we develop our talent pathways and programs that so we this development of mental toughness or resilience is kind of embedded in the experiences that athletes get. Um, So you face adversity, if you like, and you you help to reflect on how you manage that adversity and develop the skills to then apply them to any other challenging situations as you go through your career. Um, And there's a bit of literature and there's been a bit of research around adversity and how you can create that kind of in the talent development stage. But it has to be managed very well. So it's all very well, you know, throwing someone in at the deep end and exposing them to that literally but they need to be supported after that and made to realise why they were thrown in at the deep end and what they've learned from it as well. And that's a good coach, a good support staff, good sports psychs will will be able to facilitate that. Okay, that's quite quite interesting.
0: I'll try and look to have a read of that. If you wanted some bonus content, I have now set up a Facebook group where you can interact with both the guests and I. The name of this so-called group is Mindset Game. So why not come over and check it out for yourself? And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review, as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety, and it would be more visible in the future to others, and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.